Good afternoon. My name is Mike. Um, it's really nice to meet you. If we haven't met before, uh, I'm one of the elders here, uh, one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to be with you this afternoon um, and great that you could join us. Uh, we're in um, a series in the summer just in Psalms. We're looking at the book of, book of Psalms. Um, we're going to look at various different Psalms um, throughout the next few weeks. And we're in Psalm 20 today. Uh, um, as you find that, if you've got a Bible to hand or a phone or anything like that, um, please do turn to it and have it in, open in front so you can sort of follow along as we go through it. Uh, and we've, I've sort of selected different Psalms um, because I, I wanted to give us a different view of different Psalms, not have very samey ones. They're all going to be quite different. Uh, so last week we had one really focusing on God as creator and um, how, how we view our humanity in light, in light of that. Uh, today it's going to feel quite different. Uh, and then again next week we have actually got Yannick who's coming from Stockwell. Woo! Um, he's going to preach to us from Psalm 96 and, and so on. Each week is going to be slightly different uh, to give us a good, nice, balanced diet, as it were, in the Psalms. Uh, anyway, Psalm 20. Um, let me read it and then we'll pray and then we'll dive straight in. Psalm 20. For the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Let's pray as we look at Psalm 20. There is no other name in heaven and on earth from whom we receive salvation except in the name of God, God our Father. Father, may we see that in this psalm today. May we see the beauty and wonder of your saving grace upon us and upon our lives. Help us to see the beauty of your anointed one. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Okay, let me ask you this. As I read through that psalm, as you were following with me, who did you think that psalm was for? May God answer in your distress. May God help you. May God give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. When you hear phrases like that, what are you thinking? See, I, I think what we tend to do is instinctively we, we think that this psalm is talking about us. We're like, oh, what does this mean for me? How do I fit into this? We jump in to see, okay, how do these words help me in my situation? God, help me in this world. Help me in my distress. Help me in my, with my plans. But I want us to slow down. Because whenever we read a psalm, we need to slow down and look at some of the details and reread it carefully. And as you do, you'll start to see more and more actually what the purpose of this psalm is and who it's for. And when you do that, that is when you, I think you get a much clearer understanding and fuels a much richer response in our hearts. That's my hope today with Psalm 20. That our hearts would want to respond and sing this psalm throughout the week. And the thing about this psalm is this. The focus of the psalm isn't on us at all. It's not on the people of God. It's not about me or you. But the psalm gets the people to focus on the king. That's the big thing I want us to see from Psalm 20. This message, keep your eyes on the king. 
you see verses 1, one to 4? You see that constantly. May the Lord answer you. May he send you help. All those yous there are in the singular, the one person. And then we get to verse 5. Do you see that? Verse 5, may we shout for joy. That is where we fit in. That's where the people of God are. We're shouting for joy. But you see, it's all about one person. That's the focus. And then we get to see who that person is. Verse 6, now this I know, the Lord gives victory to who? To his anointed. Look at the end, verse 9. The Lord give victory to who? To the king. Do you see, this psalm is all about God's king. That's what they did back then. They anointed them with oil. And when you see that, I think what happens is you sort of have this Copernican revolution that happens. Do, you, do people know Nicholas Copernicus? He was a guy who said, the sun doesn't go around the earth, but the earth goes around the sun. Mind blown. Everybody back then was obvious, obvious to us today, but back then they were like, What? But it changes our perspective because it made humanity realize that we're not at the center of the universe. Psalm 20 does that to us today. It's a Copernican revolution. In our culture, too often we're, the, we're in the habit of putting ourselves at the center. What does this mean for me? How does this revolve around me? And Psalm 20 says, no, it's not about you. It's about the king. Keep your eyes on the king. And when you've got that clear in your mind, then I think Psalm 20 starts to make a lot more sense. So have that in your mind, and then we're going to work through this psalm, we're going to try and understand it with the king in view, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves, okay? That's the way it's going to work. Now the psalm, I think, works in two halves. You've got the first half, verses 1 to 5. This is what the first half is saying. Keep your eyes on the king and pray expectantly. Keep your eyes on the king and pray expectantly. Okay? First one sets the scene. All eyes are on the king, but for What? Is this going to be like King Charles' coronation? You know, in pompous dress and songs and all that stuff and people carrying swords. Or is it a day of celebration like his birthday? But no, you see verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. This is a day of distress. That word can also mean the day of trouble. And that usually signifies a battle is coming. You get a hint of that language in verse 7. You've got some, some trust in chariots and some in horses. This is warfare, battle language. This isn't a scene of crowns and orbs, but it's one of helmets and swords. It's the eve of battle and the king is getting ready. That is what's going on. Who remembers the 2012 Olympics? Okay, great. Um, I really enjoyed the 20, 2012 Olympics. It's great. It's in London, right? It's, it's terrific. Now, I've got to say, I'm, I like cycling, as in I like riding my bike, but I didn't really care about watching cycling. It's pretty boring, right? Until the 2012 Olympics, and then this thing came, appeared, the velodrome, and there are these people on these bikes going really fast, just chasing each other round and round. I was like, this is really fun. I started watching it, and I got really hooked because of one man, a guy called Chris Hoy. People know him? Sir Chris Hoy, now, absolute legend. He won six gold medals that year. And every time he got in the velodrome, everyone's eyes, well, I, I think most people's eyes were on him. Team GB, but not just Team GB, he was representing much more. I found myself cheering him on. I think I, I'm, I'm Korean, I think. <laughs> so it's because I was born in the UK, everyone, anyway. But I found myself cheering on Great Britain. I was like, yeah, come on. And every time he won, I felt like, oh, yeah, we're winning something. And we climb up the medal tables. But then you start talking to people, and they start saying, oh, we have five gold medals. We have six gold medals. I'm like, 
No, you don't. You didn't do anything. But we still revel in the victory. Because Chris Hoy was representing Team GB and the rest of this country. All eyes were on him every time he raced. So it's a little bit like that here. On the eve of battle, the king is about to enter on behalf of his people. The thing is, back then, when you went into battle, you weren't sure if you were, if you were going to win. But what we do know is that the role of the king was crucial for the people. It determined success or failure. I didn't really used to like history lessons, but there was a teacher called Mr. Wharton. I remember him so clearly. He taught me two things. Well, he showed two things to me. One was this. He reminded me of something called supply drops. Basically what that was was on Friday afternoons, it's the dead of the week, you're really tired, it's history. And he'd give supply drops, which were basically code for wine gums. So he'd go around and just give us each a wine gum, and it kept us engaged. He was our favorite teacher. Just a tip if you're a teacher, if you can do that, supply drops are great. That's one thing I remember. The second thing is he's a great storyteller, and he story told stories of kings. And the number of kings I heard who retreated in battle, who ran and hid, who were just bad. See, when that happened, what happened afterwards was that their kingdom would often collapse. The king's role is crucial. All eyes are on the king who represents the people. If he loses, they lose. If he wins, they win. The king matters. And so what, what David, the writer here, is calling us to do, is calling the people to do, is look, keep your eyes on the king and pray expectantly for him. You want the king to win. You want him to be protected. You want him to be successful. Set your eyes on the king in prayer and ask God to provide all the king needs for battle. That is what verses 1 to 4 are doing. You see verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May you protect the king. Verse 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. You're praying for help and support for the king. And that comes from the sanctuary, from, from Zion. That is God's dwelling place. We, looked a lot of that, uh, uh, we saw a lot of that in Ezra. God had a temple, a dwelling place with his people. Right in Jerusalem, that's another name for Zion. And God is saying, look, I'm not a distant God up there, but I'm with you, I'm close to you, I relate to you. I'm present with my king and with his people. So pray to that God for support. Verse 3, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. A huge function of sacrifices in the Bible was what? About restoring relationship with God. The king was making sacrifices to God saying, look, set my eyes right before you, God. Help me to know that you are my God and I'm your king. And the people are to pray and appeal to God. Please remember that. Please remember that deep, unified relationship you have with your king, O oh God. And then you get verse 4. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. You're praying for the success of the king. Success not in a worldly sense of getting things that your heart desires, like a nice job or a nice house and so on. It's so easy to read that with prosperity gospel lenses, with 21st world thinking. But here it's all about the success in fighting for the people of God, for the king. The desire of the king is, his, is God's honor, establishing God's kingdom and for the salvation of God's people in the face of battle. That is what you're praying for. And this is the thing, if God answers these prayers, if the king is protected, if the king is successful, then who benefits? Us, the people of God. Look at verse 5. May we shout for joy over your victory, over the king's victory. 
The people want to celebrate and revel in the glory of the king, just like I did, or some of us did, with Sir Chris Hoy when he won gold medals. We celebrate in his success. And through that, we see the glory of God. Setting banners, verse 5, lift up our banners in the name of our God, giving glory to the God, his name, who has chosen his anointed king to bring victory for the people. David is calling us, calling his people to pray for your king because it's through this king that we will see joy and victory. But then the psalm changes gears. Did you notice in verses 1 to 5, there are lots of mays, right? May God answer, may God help. It's about asking expectantly. But then the tone changes in verse 6. The second half is filled with certainty. This is what the second half is telling us, that keep your eyes on the king and see his victory. Look at verse 6. Now this I know. Here's what's certain. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. If the first half was all about praying expectantly for the king to be victorious, the second half of Psalm 20 is about certainty that the king will be victorious. Where does that certainty come from for David? How does he know? Come back to Chris Hoy for a moment. Do you see in verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses? For Chris Hoy, the chariot was sort of his bike, right? He's on his bike, and his horses are sort of his legs. Have you seen his legs? Man, huge. That guy does not skip leg days, for sure. And there are videos on YouTube of him what, like, pressing weights, and they try and pile as many as they can on top. Still presses them with ease. It's scary. But the psalm is clear. Certainty of victory for God's anointed king, it doesn't come from human might and human power. It doesn't come in chariots or horses. But victory comes from God. From the same God that you've been praying, we've been called to pray for, pray to in verses 1 to 5. And David seems to know this for two reasons. Firstly, because he's seen this throughout the history of God's people. If you see, look, at, look back at verse 5. He calls God the God of Jacob. Do you see that right at the end of verse 1? This is a summary statement of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm looking to the God of promise. This is the God I know, the God who covenanted with his people, that he promised them, I will be with you, I'll bless you, I'll protect you, and gather you. And David knows that this God of promise has been victorious throughout history. God has continually established his people, even when the people fail. He has raised up, he's cared for, he's protected, and brought success to his people, often through his chosen leaders. David knows the history of the Exodus, where Pharaoh tried to stand up against God, tried to contain God's people. Pharaoh then came chasing with what? With chariots and horses, trying to show his mighty power. But what did God do? He protected his people and showed his might in parting the Red Sea, giving them a way of safety, and then swamping over the chariots and horses. David knows the history of Joshua when they took the city of Jericho, a major city in the promised land. It was right in the way. Huge walls, chariots and horses, human power. But what did God do? He tells Joshua, the leader, look, take the people, walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, blow your trumpets and just watch as the walls collapse and the city is taken. 
There is success for God's people through his chosen leader. See, David can see it. We can see it throughout the history of God's people. God is faithful. His word is true. God is mighty to save. But it's not only that. David knows that he can trust in the name of the Lord because he's experienced this in his own life. He's one of the early anointed kings of God's people. Now, we don't actually know when he wrote this psalm. It's not tied to a specific situation. But there's a great example of this happening in David's life. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? There are the enemies of God, the Philistines, who come right up to the borders and they have this massive champion called Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. He's nine feet tall. If you don't work in feet, three meters. Pretty tall, twice my height. Well, slightly less. I'm a bit taller than that. Anyway, this guy's he's hench, huge muscles. If Huel used him in their campaigns, everyone would be drinking Huel, right? If you think Chris Hoy's legs are huge, they are twiglets compared to Goliath. That is what Goliath's like. And the people of God see this guy and they're trembling in fear. And then David turns up, this young boy. But he's been anointed. He is God's chosen king. Keep your eyes on that king. Do you remember what David does? He walks in and the king at the time, Saul, he tries to put armor on him. He says, look, you've got to fight. If you're going to fight, you need all this. It doesn't fit. David says, look, I can't do this. I can't trust in chariots and horses, in human power. Instead, I trust in the name of God. And he steps out. And Goliath looks at this little boy and laughs. Is this it? Is this the best you have, you people of the mighty God? And David says in 1 Samuel 17, 45, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. In other words, in human, with human power. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And within a few minutes, Goliath is on his knees, defeated by God's anointed king. King David has been through Psalm 20. He knows exactly what this is like. And he's teaching his people, look, keep your eyes on God's anointed king. Pray expectantly for the king and see his victory. That is what Psalm 20 is teaching us. Okay, you with me so far, right? We've worked hard to understand the psalm. Great, let's apply it. What does this mean for us? How are we meant to read this psalm today? Now, here's the first thing, simple. Keep your eyes on the king. As you read Psalm 20, keep your eyes on the anointed king of God. When he wrote this, David most likely had the promise of God in, in mind. He was promised in 2 Samuel 7 that he would have a descendant, a king from his line who would reign forever. And from David's time, you're constantly trying to find out, who is this king? Is it Solomon? No. Is it Hezekiah? No. Is it Josiah? No. You can see where this is going. Because that line keeps going until we get to the great, 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 great descendant of David, who is King Jesus. And this psalm so richly points to Christ. It's mad, actually. Some would even argue that David is actually explicitly writing about Jesus. And you can almost see why. Let me show you some of the details. Okay, I don't normally like doing this, but it, this is the way you're going to see it. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew, okay? Um, because it, it really shows it. Okay, right. The anointed, that word in verse 6, that word is Messiah, which means Messiah. That is translated as Christos in the Greek, which is Christ in the New Testament. Are you with me so far? Okay, there's your first Hebrew word, Messiah. It's basically like a Hebrew way of saying Messiah. Jesus' title throughout the New Testament is Christ the Messiah. Great. Here's a second word. 
See those words, victory, in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 9. That word is Yeshua, which means Jesus. It means salvation. That's Jesus' name, Yeshua. Okay, so you have Messiah, Yeshua. Then look at, and, and then you have God's name, Yahweh. You might have heard that before. Okay, come with me to verse 6. In the English we read, Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Okay, there's six words, seven words there in English. There's literally three words in the Hebrew. And this is how it reads. Yahweh, Meshua, Meshia, Yeshua. Do you hear that? God, Messiah, Jesus. Just those three words. Can you hint any more than that? Look at verse 9. Lord, give victory to the king. Lots of English words there. Three words in the Hebrew. Yahweh, God, Yeshua, salvation, Melech, the king. God, Jesus, the king. Do you see, Psalm 20 is plastered with echoes pointing to Christ. And it teaches us today to say, look, keep your eyes on this king, on King Jesus. As we enter our battles in this world, keep your eyes on King Jesus who fights for us. That is what Psalm 20 wants us to see. Let's continue applying it. So as we keep our eyes fixed on the king, what are we meant to do? Pray expectantly. The people of God today will face battles. The battles we face today as Christians aren't territorial like back then. We aren't fighting for land. But we face battles which are just as daunting. Some of us will face battles with temptation that consumes us, addictions that paralyze us. Others will face battles with health, physical and mental financial pressures. Others will face battles of persecution and exclusion at work or with friends or family because of our beliefs. The battles God's people face are almost always there to make us deny God's goodness, deny his promises, and to to abandon our relationship with him. It's the same back then as it is today. And that's a story that we've seen throughout the Bible. It's like a massive earthquake The epicenter of the disaster is found in Genesis 3 in the garden where the people are tempted to deny God's goodness and his promises. If they had been faithful, they would have stood against such lies and stood firm, but it shows us that the human heart is unreliable. We are too often drawn to the attraction to deny God's goodness, to believe the lie that God's goodness is restrictive for us and not good for us, that rather trusting in God's promises is better to find our own way through life That is the sin of our hearts that turns us away from God and succumbs to God's enemies. And ever since that earthquake happened, we have seen the impact, the ripples of it going out in our lives, expanding far and wide as it impacts and breaks the relationships we have around us, affecting all of creation that we see being broken. That is what we see around us in the world today. And the thing is, when you've ever spoken to someone who's been in a major earthquake, they say, when you're in it, there's absolutely nothing you can do. You just have to pray And it's like that with our sin. There is nothing we can do. Like a devastating earthquake can leave us stranded without help stuck in darkness, so sin too can leave us stranded in the darkness, separated from God. On this earth today, but if we stay like that into eternity. As we face those battles today and this potential of a dark, dark future, Psalm 20 shows us, look, We have the space, we have the language to pray with our eyes fixed on King Jesus who heads into battle for us. 
And at times, we might not see how we're going to get out of this battle. But Psalm 20 drives us to pray, pray with purpose and direction towards a king who fights on our behalf, who we want to see win and be successful. Because if he is victorious, so will we be. Psalm 20 is saying, look, please, Jesus, will you be successful in this particular battle that I'm I'm facing right now? A few years ago, I was walking alongside a dear friend of mine who was going through some severe pressures on his mental health. It was affecting him physically, too. He's a guy I hugely respect. In the eyes of the world, he's really successful. He's a qualified doctor. he's, He's a surgeon. He's doing really well. But I saw him trembling in this battle filled with fear and anxiety. And often he was tempted to doubt God's good promises, to doubt God's goodness. The doctors were helping him with medication, and I did the best I could. We'd meet together, we'd we'd eat together, we'd spend time. We'd talk and hang out to try to keep his mind off things. And when it was right, we'd pray together that God would help him and heal him. But as we talked the other day, and we're looking back over the years, the deepest prayers that we had for one another was for us to keep our eyes on King Jesus who had entered the battle for him. And in all honesty, some days he found that hugely encouraging and other days he didn't. He found that really hard. There were times we met where he just didn't want to talk about God. But in his journey, in those emotions, in the ups and downs, as we looked back together, we saw how over the years he'd been fighting to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, to cry out to his king, to win this battle for him. Now, he still battles today, day by day, but his trust and his hope continues to grow. Day by day, he feels stronger with the anchor that secures him to press on in this world as he looks to his king who fights this battle for him. Just like the people with David as they were trembling before Goliath, we will face battles where we will be filled with fear and anxiety, where we'll be faced with challenge that make us want to doubt God's goodness and his promises. Maybe that's you today, this afternoon. Maybe you're facing a particular battle, a temptation, a sin that you're struggling with and feels like you're overwhelmed and crushed by it. Or maybe you're in a battle in the workplace. It's just hostile and it's so hard. Perhaps it's illness. Psalm 20 gives us room to pray so that we would fix our eyes on the king and ask Jesus to fight and win this battle for us, for his people. And my my prayer is this, I pray that this psalm would help you fix your eyes on him. But not just to stop there, because there's a second half of the psalm that comes too. Remember the second point, keep your eyes on the king and see his victory? That is where we're headed. Look at verse 6 again. Now this I know, this we know together as God's people. God gives victory to his anointed Messiah. The Father gives victory to his Son. You see, verse 6, it carries on. He answers from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. See, think about it. What is at God's right hand in his heavenly dwelling place? That is exactly where the Son of God is is seated. That is exactly where Jesus returns to when when he is seated today to reign. See, victory comes through the Son of God at the right hand of the Father, who doesn't consider equality to be grasped but instead humbles humbles himself obediently to come in human flesh as the king of God's people. And when we look to this king, what do we see? Who do we see? A lot of Disney in my household at the moment. I've got two little toddlers. 
Aladdin is one of my favorite movies. Anyone with me? The, the classic old school Aladdin with Robin Williams, right? I mean, Will Smith's all right, but Robin Williams is just. But you know in that scene when Prince Ali is coming into the city, and you got that Prince Ali, fabulous, he, Ali, Abwa, yeah? You with me? Great scene. Here they have these fanfare and troops and dancers and acrobats, and he's riding on an elephant who used to be his monkey friend. It's a weird thing. That is what we might expect when we see a glorious king come to visit. But when we see Jesus, we don't see a mighty king with legions and chariots and horses like verse 7. Instead, he comes surrounded by a rabble of 12 disjointed disciples. He doesn't have a palace, doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He enters Zion, Jerusalem, not on an elephant, not even a horse, but on a donkey. And on the eve of the greatest battle he was about to fight, Jesus isn't sitting there trying to gather troops and armies, but he's on his knees, sweating drops of blood in anguish, praying to his Father for us. We don't see a mighty king surrounded by armies. Instead, we see one who was abandoned by all his friends, left all alone. When we see Jesus, we don't see a mighty king being carried on a throne. Instead, we see a king who is stripped, flogged, bloodied, and ashamed to hang on a Roman cross in utter weakness for us. Jesus never relied on human power, not on legions or chariots, but only on the name of God. Salvation comes from the Lord, and he did this all for us, for his people, for the battles we face against sin, a battle we could only lose. The king comes to stand in a place to fight that battle, to take those arrows of judgment upon himself instead of us. That is why Jesus came. And as Jesus breathed his last on the cross, his enemies thought, yes, we've won. He's silenced. You can hear the echo of Goliath saying, is that all you've got? It's like those kings in my history lessons. Surely now Jesus' kingdom is going to collapse. But verse 6, the Lord gives victory to his anointed, even over death. They thought their human methods could contain the Son of God, but far from it. The enemies are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm because Christ, the Son of God, rose and stood firm against death. And his kingdom certainly didn't crumble. No, the opposite. Today, his kingdom is continuing to expand throughout the generations and around the people groups around the world. Okay, let me land this for us. Here's where it bites. In our struggles, in our battles, in our temptations, it's so tempting for us to sometimes say, look, I'm looking to Jesus, but I need to fight this. What's my horse? What's my chariot? How do I win this battle? And we can put in place accountability structures and use technology and change patterns and habits to think, ah, this will sort me out. But Psalm 20 says, look, that's not where you go. Keep your eyes on King, on King Jesus. He has won the victory for you. Trust in him, not in horses and chariots, as useful as some of those tools can be. But salvation is found only in the name of Christ, so keep looking to him. In the battles you face, in the battles we face, let's turn to Psalm 20. Let's pray expectantly as you look to Jesus. Cry out to him and ask him to fight for you and with you, and then have confidence to know that he has won this victory. If you're sitting here and you're gripped in the vice of sin and temptation, you read through Psalm 20, sing it to look to the cross, and as you see King Jesus there, remember that you are now free, no longer under the chains of guilt and shame. It is finished, he cried out. The battle with sin is won. You stand forgiven. 
You're now friends, you're family of King Jesus. If you're gripped in the throes of physical or mental health, use Psalm 20 to look to Jesus, our King who has shown how he will reverse the effects of sin once and for all, who comes to restore fully. He, he hinted at that when he was here on this earth as he healed so many who were broken. And that is a taste of what will come in fullness when we see him. To lean upon him, look to the king, look to the hope he gives. It doesn't mean that all our battles will be done with on this earth. But we know where we're headed. Because the Lord gives victory to his anointed. And on that day, verse 5 we will no longer, it will no longer be a may we shout for joy. But on that day, it's we will shout for joy. On that day, we will stand together, shouting for joy, lifting up our banners in celebration of God. Praise God for his great salvation found in his anointed king, in King Jesus. That is what we can look forward to. But for now, as we live on in this world, with the battles we face, let's remember, keep our eyes fixed on King, on the King, on our King, Jesus. Pray to him expectantly in those battles that he might conquer the adversity that we face, that we might trust in him and lean upon him and then remember the promise of the cross. Don't trust in human power, chariots and horses, but in the name of God, Christ has won. Sin has been counted for, death is defeated and salvation is ours if we trust in him. May Psalm 20 help anchor our souls and keep our eyes fixed on King Jesus this week because this we know God has given victory to his anointed one. Amen. Amen. Let, let me lead us in a prayer. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on the king in our battles. To know that you have sent the best king, the only king who could save King Jesus. Help us to lean upon him, to trust him, to cry out to him, to pray expectantly, to watch him as he fights the battles for us. Help us to lean upon him, not on the powers of this world. And help us to find assurance as we see the cross, as we see him rise from the grave to know that we have victory in Christ Jesus. May that fuel arise to, to joy, to praise this week through Psalm 20. And we pray this for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen.